0: Welcome to saltier politics this week. Julie, this is a big week. Emily, we have a meet. Well, first of all, we're
1: here at my dining table again, having drinks. It's been a while.
0: You've got huge news. I have accepted a position with Shepard Smith on CNBC on his new primetime show, which airs September 30th. So I am no longer working at Fox,
1: which is a little bittersweet for me, not because I'm sorry to see you go to Shepherd Smith at CNBC, but because you and I met at Fox and it's the kind of the end of an era, but I am so incredibly psyched for you. I know how much you really wanted to do and have consistently wanted to do and have done real journalism. Right. Which I feel
0: like is, uh, it used to be a battle to try to do real journalism.
1: Yeah. And how much you're going to a show that truly is committed to real journalism. Now I know some of Fox people who are listening to this think that Shepherd Smith is some, Diehard crazy liberal. He's not. Um, I know him quite well. I used to be on a show. Um, I know him, obviously, not just being on a show, but knowing him from around Fox. Um, Shep is all about the news. And unless you think that facts have a real liberal bias, maybe you do. Right. Um, but in reality, facts don't have a liberal or conservative bias. Facts are facts, right? The sky is blue, and no matter how much you spin it, it's not. Uh, Black. Right. Unless there's a storm cloud. I say that purely because I'm incredibly psyched for you. You are a journalist at heart. You're not ideological. You are, I mean, there are issues that you care about because you care about them, but you are first and foremost a journalist, which is not what I am, no matter how much people <laughs> tweet me all the time about you're not acting like a journalist, you're giving opinion. I was always opinion, but you're a journalist. Right. And the fact that you're working for a journalist. And somebody who I think is one of the finest journalists around, there's nobody, and I will say this and I will say it till I'm blue in the face, nobody does breaking news like Shepard Smith. Nobody runs with it like Shepard Smith. And I thought as Fox moved more and more towards opinion over the last, I don't know, seven, eight years, um, his role was diminished despite the fancy studio that he was given. Um, which is a shame because he was truly a newsman and he is a newsman. And I think Fox's loss is CNBC's gain, not just for Shep, but for you. So I'm so psyched. I'm so happy for you. I know how much you wanted to move on to doing real journalism. And when you were at Fox, and I was at Fox back when I first met you, you were doing real journalism. Yep. You were doing great stories for foxnews.com. You were reporting incredibly interesting things that most people – we're not aware. I mean, you brought a tremendous amount of awareness to very little, uh, to stories that were not well reported by other media. But I also know that those opportunities diminished over the last few years.
0: I, I think the audience is smart, and that they deserve to hear all sides of the story, and that they can make a decision. So,
1: I can't. You know, I'm I'm bound by an NDA. You are not. Um, so, if you're comfortable and if you're not, I totally get it. But how much, how much has it changed in the last? few years since the trump administration i left for people who don't know i left Fox at the end of june of 17 from mm-hmm. friends who i have i have who are still there i hear that it's changed a lot and it's become a lot less it was not particularly fair and balanced when i was there um but it's i hear it's changed even more but what do you have is there anything you can add to that
0: yeah it's changed wildly when i was first hired to go to dot com because i used to be a writer for daytime
1: well, and a producer. Us, so
0: you started out at fox what year I started in 2013, October 2013, and I was a, a daytime writer. For which show? So, so America's Newsroom, Happening Now, America's News Headquarters, which then became Outnumbered, and then also Gretchen's show. So and I, you
1: wrote for me on Outnumbered.
0: And I and that's how I got to know Julie. I wrote for her and thought she was a badass.
1: But it's funny, you and I didn't know each other on Outnumbered.
0: Right, because a lot of times with the writers, um, they don't really get to know the the talent.
1: I've always said this and I mean it. The real talent are the people behind the scenes, starting with the hair and makeup people who take people like me who look homeless when they walk in and make them look presentable. Uh, They are the talent. Um, But the producers, the writers, the people who make the trains run on time, that's the real talent. So I'm not going to refer to on-air people as talent. I'm going to refer to them, including myself, as an on-air person or personality. But what's interesting about uh, Elise Fox was that I didn't know much
0: about who was behind the scenes. I don't really think I ever met any of our directors or writers. And, and and that was actually, it wasn't until I got to .com because one of the things that was really great about .com was the previous leadership was wanted to hire me because I thought outside the box. They wanted to grow the audience beyond what their audience was. Right. They wanted to make a younger demographic, and that's and that's how I got to know you because one of my original pitches was for the clapback, was for you to be the host of this show that gave you more than a hundred fifty characters, Twitter characters, to respond back to haters, which you had a lot of on. Yeah. Being the only Democratic strategist. Well,
1: one of the few. I wasn't the only one, but um, it was pretty much... Uh, Juan's not... It's funny, you know, I think about who was there towards the end when, when we launched when we launched the clapback. And you and I can finally have a real discussion about this because you are no longer at Fox, but I know you've had to be somewhat reserved about talking about this before. Yep. But what's interesting about this is, uh, and I still have to be reserved about saying anything, obviously. Um totally disparaging about certain things so I can talk kind of broadly. Um, what I think is interesting, Emily, is that you, um, I, I wasn't the only one, but I was, uh, you know, you had people, so Beckel at that point, I think was gone by the time he lost the clad back. You had Juan Williams, who people I think think of as a Democrat and a liberal, Juan's a journalist. I mean, Juan, right. Juan I, you know, people don't realize, and I wish they would because I have a lot of, I have so much respect for Juan, one was the preeminent when I was in college and in graduate school. Well, not the preeminent. One of the preeminent uh, civil rights writers. Right. His uh, books are his, great. His books. I mean, I read him in college and graduate school in, in, in the early 90s, and he really has this tremendous um, uh, scope of work. And he was a, a journalist at NPR, and he was really a, a trailblazer, um, uh, really a trailblazer. So I don't, again, fact facts don't have a liberal bias, but apparently in some, in some cases they do. So I, Juan's not a democratic strategist. Juan never worked in a campaign. Juan was a journalist and continues to be a journalist. Um, and a journalist who maybe interprets things in a more liberal way than people who are, at Fox do, but the reality is he's not. Um, you had Jesse Tarloff, who came along and I think became a contributor just as I was leaving, so she wasn't there that much, yeah. um, who I love as well. Anyway, I can't remember, but I think I was pretty much one of the very few. And
0: um, they gave us a show, which I, I think is amazing. Right. They, they, like, took a chance, and that was one of the reasons, because for the test to make get this job, I had to give a couple pitches. And this was one of the ones, and they really loved it. And then they let me make this show, like, happen, and Julie agreed to do it. And it was awesome. Yeah,
1: and I remember when they came to me and they said um, – I don't want to put him, get him in trouble so I'm not going to mention the guy's name but somebody from the previous sort of dot com regime called me into his office and said hey we want to give you the show on dot com this is what we want to do and we don't know what we're going to call it yet or what the concept is going to be quite yet and I said alright well why don't you run the concept by me and we'll, we'll get there and it took a while I remember it was a couple of months until they finally got back to me um, and they said there's this woman named you know Emily she's very right far outnumbered I said nope no. um <laughs> And I met with him and I met with somebody else, another guy. Again, I don't want to mention anybody's names and get them in trouble, but you were kind of, it's ironically, I found out it was your show later, but it wasn't something that really they presented as your show. And then you and I got to know each other. You wrote for it. You, I mean, you were just, you were it. You ran with it. We had such a good time. I mean, I love the clapback. It's so funny. All the things that I did there, the clapback is my favorite, despite the fact that it was probably the least
0: watched because it was on Fox News.com. But it was really innovative. It was so fun and it was subversive it a little bit subversive. too. And but the fact is I was I really believed in in dot com and worked my butt off because I'm like they want me to grow this audience. They they're they're not thinking in one box. They're just being like let's give everybody a voice and share it and that was huge. And and, and yeah. that's what I thought I was being a part of. I'm like I'm going to be able to reach an audience who I might not agree with sometimes, but I'm going to be able to give them all the information and give them not the same point of view that they keep hearing. But forget the
1: clapback. I mean, you interviewed a tremendous amount of people. You did, I mean, talk about some of the great
0: stuff that you did at .com. I mean, I got to do a lot of LGBTQ stories. um, Which are not well covered. Right. I did a a story on the dangerous places to travel for LGBTQ couples, how it's still legal to be fired in 28 states for being gay. I was able to do issues about... uh, Black Americans and just issues that I don't think are covered quite as much on the channel or at all and, and bring them to .com and, and give a voice to those who may not think Fox was a voice. So I'm like, great, I can grow this audience. Recently, in the past couple of years, it's really just changed. And it was more about following the channel than about news. It's a
1: shame because I I really... Loved most of my time at Fox. I mean, I enjoyed being, you know, I, I enjoyed being, I'll give you an example, I enjoyed being an outnumbered or even the five um, and being the person
0: who was arguing with four other people. It was fun. It was a great time. No, fun. and you could see your, like, the the gadgets in your brain just turning. And yeah. I was like, she's about to just go off. But it, but,
1: it, but it was a lot of fun. It's challenging. It's a lot of fun Maybe I'm a masochist. But I really did have a good time. And I think the part that's kind of sad about all of this is... My understanding is they laid off a lot of people what is known as the brain room, the brain room for what for those who don't know are
0: people who provide you with facts, right? Yeah, they did they did a lot of the groundwork and the research for a lot of my articles and right. contacts. So, and, so give an example of what the brain room does. Yeah, you know, I'm like, how many times did Trump tweet about him about Obama golfing? And then they would get back to me and I'm like, I need this for, you know, a 5 p.m. hit. And they would cut back to me right. by 4.30. So they the guys said, that would provide the hits. And they, and they would do all of this research that allowed me to just focus on other things. And, and, and they're a great unit. They
1: got rid of... I think your entire unit, right? Yep. Or, well, except one person. Except one person, right. So most of your unit. They got rid of the
0: bureau chiefs, I hear. A, a, lot of a few bureau chiefs, yeah. I know the Jerusalem bureau chief. So a lot of the news, maybe it's preparing for a Trump loss and to focus on opinion,
1: Well, which is the moneymaker. Whether it's a Trump win or a Trump loss. Right, I think. But it's interesting because, you know, it used to be Hannity and Combs. You you needed a Combs for Hannity because even if you wanted to highlight Sean Hannity, you needed a Combs to make it look fair and balanced, right? Right. Then then you got rid of Combs, um, Alan Combs, who was a wonderful human being who sadly passed away. So then it became just Hannity. And then they got rid of Shep, who was doing journalism in the primetime, 7 p.m. hour, which in cable news is considered primetime, and and put him at 3 o'clock hour and replaced him with... Uh, I know they don't think Martha McCallum's opinion, but, you know, okay. So effectively, more and more, you're having just pure opinion.
0: Right. Well, even look at what happened with Jennifer Griffin when she came out, when she had news in a news report, and then most of the opinion people were taking a dump over everything, over her reporting. And
1: I've got to say, I am floored. About that, because say what you will about Roger Ailes, and I unfortunately cannot say much. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to pay him a compliment. That never, ever would have happened Mm-mm. during the Roger Ailes regime. You didn't have talent. I hate the word talent. You didn't have unair personalities try to discredit other unair personalities that way. Right. You did if you were ideologically arguing. Right. Um, certainly, I had a lot of people go after me when I was on the five or outnumbered who were on air with me. Um, one of whom did not know the difference between Sunni and Shia and got very upset when I pointed it out to her. Um, but uh, she's no longer there. But but you didn't have this. You didn't have reporting being discredited. You didn't have right. somebody of Shepard Smith's stature being discredited by somebody Tucker Carlson's stature or vice versa. And the fact that that was allowed to happen is insane. And I guess it may have started even before that from what I um, saw where Megyn Kelly wrote her book when she was still on air, Bill O'Reilly effectively go after her on air. Remember, he went on at eight; she went on at nine. And I think his talking point memo was about how people who disparage people who give them opportunities shouldn't be worked. You know, I mean, it was a complete knock on her. But that all happened post dales right? And uh, it's like the inmates are running the asylum. It seems.
0: It's true, and. You know, I made lifelong friends like you. I'm yeah. always grateful to Fox for that. But I am ready to not be there. And, and to be a journalist. And I'm ready to to get back to journalism.
1: I'm so psyched for you. Uh, I used to work at CNBC, I think you know that, before I, before I got to Fox. And it's a great group of people. Um, when I was at CNBC, it was all financial news, and, and that's why I didn't stay, because believe me, you don't want me giving you advice about investing. But um, I'm glad that they have a political component now and that you're working on it and that Shep is leading it. And um, not even a political component, but talking about political news or, or non-financial news, I should say. Um, it is truly CNBC's game.
0: Thank you. I am very excited. So... Switching gears to, and kind of switching gears, my next one is on QAnon to discuss this because at first I'm like, this is so bullshit. We don't have to discuss this because it's stupid. But recently um, I saw a headline that Biden volunteers are apparently encountering people claiming that Biden is a pedophile. And just for some background on QAnon, it's the baseless belief that Trump is waging a secret campaign against enemies in the deep state and a child sex trafficking ring run by uh, satanic pedophiles and criminals. you think it'd be easy to be like, that's crazy, but no.
1: (laughs) It's very interesting. You know, when the internet first arose, um, a long time ago, about 30 years ago, as it became more prevalent, I would say in the late nineties, early aughts, um, I think a lot of people's feelings were, this is great. You're going to have open source information now and people are going to be able to be more informed and it's not going to have to be that you have to, you know, you can do your research online right away. You don't have to go to the library or have the resources to, I don't know, buy an Encyclopedia Britannica, which you know, if you had the resources, my parents never did, you'd be able to know more stuff. Um, what has effectu- effectively happened is there's a lot of crazy stuff out there and people are believing it to the point where somebody walked into Washington, D.C., Pizzeria and started shooting it up because they thought that John Podesta, Hillary Clinton's former campaign chairman, was running a pedophile ring out of it. Right, um, and then you have the president of the United States, Donald Trump, retweeting QAnon conspiracy theories.
0: Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia, she's exactly. probably going to win. Yeah, well, she's going to win because she's you know it's a Republican seat and she's a Republican. She's <laughs> the Republican nominee, which is very scary. We're not we're not talking on a factual playing field here. We're talking in. Uh, Star Wars bar scene discussion here
1: yeah and you know it's the inmates are running the asylum and people like Mitch McConnell
0: have empowered them
1: and they will eventually be taken down by them um they will be eating their young and so I think what's awful about this is you have insa- I mean insanity insanity
0: um Joe Biden's a pe- I mean like what what are you talking about right? It's, it's, and, and, and one of the things, so I interviewed Will Summer, who's with the Daily Beast, about yes. QAnon. And he pretty much was talking about how a lot of these conspiracy theories really attract to the most vulnerable people. Like they, they need something to cling to. And that's what's so sad about it, because people who are desperate and people who aren't well educated are going to this theory. And
1: well, I think it's, if you don't have, If you feel marginalized in life, for whatever reason, and there are plenty of people like that, and that's not a knock on them because there are a lot of people who are marginalized in life. Society does not particularly, especially these days, treat people well. You want to make, you want to have a reason for why you're marginalized. So you're attracted to, it's not me, it's the deep state, or it's not me, it's, you know, So-and-so is getting over on me. And by the way, this is not, it's prevalent on the right, but the left is just as vulnerable to it um, to some extent, not as vulnerable, I should say, but there are
0: vulnerabilities. Also, I can say this now, Antifa is not a goddamn thing.
1: Yeah, thank you. Antifa is not a goddamn thing. But, But there's, yeah. What's interesting to me is that these people are, they're the victims to some extent that they believe this stuff,
0: right? And they're being taken advantage of.
1: They're being taken advantage. It's 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 what I've always said about Donald Trump. These people are making billions, millions, hundreds of millions, exploiting the these people who believe in this conspiracy theory.
0: Right, and it's it's crap too because it's and you they know, know the people it. up at up. You know Trump doesn't believe it, but he knows he knows he's just like stoking the flame. Of course like,
1: he doesn't believe it. Look at what he said to look at what he said to uh, Bob Woodward. He doesn't believe this stuff. Right. He is exploiting these people. He knows what it takes to win. He's gotta play with the bass, and the bass has become insane. What people who watch these watch or or, or watch Trump or, or listen to Rush Limbaugh or whatever. Believe me, I have a very good friend, an incredible friend. Um, now I sound like Trump, I'm an incredible friend, but I have a very close friend who is a big Trump supporter and he um, has been to the White House. I know what the protocols are to see the president. Yeah. Believe me, nobody has access to the president of the states or to anybody at the White House unless they go through all these layers to get tested. They right. have these you know, rapid tests or whatever. What's interesting to me is that people will say, well, he's the president. He needs to be more protected. Really? Does he need to be more protected than you? Does he need to be more protected than your mother or your grandmother? Like, why are we not doing this for everybody? Right. Why is his life more valuable than the life of my mother, who's in her 70s, or anybody else? And his constituents. And his constituents. Right. So meanwhile, all of these constituents, you know, Herman Cain effectively died. Because he was at this rally in Oklahoma in Tulsa, nobody's wearing a mask. Nobody was self-distancing. Nobody who is within six feet of Donald Trump, or probably even twenty feet of Donald Trump, has access to anything other than the best kind of
0: care and a test. If you're, if no one, if you're not walking the walk, you need to sit down and be quiet. <laughs> like, yeah. What I'm salty about this week, Julie, is President Trump blaming a failure to institute a national mask mandate on candidate Biden. <laughs> That's right. Because because it's candidate Biden. It's his fault that there's not a national mask mandate. I can't. I want to throw I want to fling something across. the Do room. you
1: feel like he's getting more unhinged from reality or do you think he's just playing? Like, I can't tell. I used to think he believes this stuff. And then I read the Woodward stuff. Mm -hmm. And I don't know the answer. I've gotten to the point where I think he just thinks he wants to test the prop. I think he's a daredevil. I think his entire life has been testing the proposition of how far he can go. Did you you ever watch Seinfeld? Do you remember that episode, which was not really a good episode, but it's applicable here, where Kramer decides to test drive a car, or Jerry maybe decides to test drive a car. It was one of the later episodes, and Kramer gets into a car with um, the salesman, the car salesman, the car dealer. And they just they start driving and the guy's like you can't keep driving you got to fill up the gas tank And kramer's like let's just see how far we can go and they literally okay it's a pretty lame episode but the point is kramer from seinfeld decides he's gonna drive the car until it runs out of gas and so the guy's like the, the dealer's like mr kramer we're about to run out of gas you gotta put you know more gas in the car kramer's like let's just see how far we can take this i feel like trump is kramer i feel like his entire life has been to see how far he can push this how far he can push that outrage how far he can push the bad behavior to the point where he starts to believe it himself. And the right. question here is, how far can he
0: push it? I mean, this is bullcrap. And the fact that people are buying it, I'm perplexed. I mean, how far can he put? it? How, he's a candidate. How, like, what could Mitt Romney do when Obama... Like, like I, how far can he push... Well, think about this. How far can he
1: push the proposition, right? So Biden... Now it's suddenly going to be Biden's fault that we have coronavirus. It's going to be Biden's fault... <sighs> Um, That we have record unemployment, not record unemployment, we have significant unemployment, um, or at one point had the worst unemployment since, you know, I don't know, my generation at least. Um, How long are we going to push this? And how much are people going to buy it? And I think the most true thing that Donald Trump ever said is, if I shot somebody at Fifth Avenue, I could get away with it. He really wants
0: to test that proposition because this is the rhetorical answer to that there are people almost 200,000 people are dead so he essentially shot 200,000 people there are people <laughs> on my twitter who hated and i mean hated donald trump they were Ted Cruz supporters they did not think
1: donald trump was a real deal they were Mark around whatever suddenly they are making excuses for donald trump on every like donald trump is not wrong he can go shoot somebody in fifth avenue and they, they probably was, deserved it and those people right. deserve it right right and what's interesting to me is and i thought about why and i realized why it's not even Trump, Trump is the beneficiary of this. The conservative media echo chamber, we've really become even more partisan in our views. And then look, see yeah, MSNBC to some extent is like that in the sense of the Republicans that they have for the most part, whether it's Nicole Wallace or others or you know Joe Scarborough are, are not, they're never Trumpers. So this is not just a Fox thing, although Fox is much more viewed and much more watched and we're talking about Trump supporters. I feel like you have a proposition where, OK, Trump may suck and maybe he says a lot of crazy stuff. But if he loses, oh, my God, the only thing standing between us, Armageddon, is Donald Trump, because Armageddon is Joe Biden. Joe Biden. I mean, Joe Biden, who's you know like the least offensive guy in the world, by no means a flaming socialist, never was like they're treating him like he's, you know, Vladimir Lenin. Right. And he's Joe Biden, my God. Like if Joe Biden wanted to teach said this. if he wanted to, you know, have everybody learn Das Kapital as a mandatory class, which is a book by Karl Marx, he would have done that when he was vice president, right? Like, you know what you're getting with Joe Biden. It's not exactly, you know, you're not getting the Soviet Bolshevik yeah. revolution here. But they have been groomed to believe that. And so it doesn't matter because in their mind, what a standing between... Armageddon in them is Donald Trump, and it's really amazing, and it's especially amazing to me with the evangelicals, right? Because they excuse it this way: well, he's appointed Supreme Court justices uh, who are, you know, conservative, so maybe he's not our cup of tea. But he's appointed all these justices, and he's helped Mitch McConnell pack the federal courts, and yada yada. Okay, but really like is is it really that int- can there not be a mike pence right can there not be a even a mitch mcconnell you are effectively being called out for being complete and utter hypocrites right uh, a thrice married man who who, who paid a hooker Money and they believe it's not like anybody doesn't believe that he paid a hooker money, right? He did, right? Everything about him
0: oh my god, it's
1: just, just everything they've ever stood against, and it's right? crap.
0: And the whole uh Liberty University, Jerry fallwell Jr.
1: There's another good example. I mean, you have it's it's a long history. I mean, before I think before you were born, but you had Jimmy Swagger, you had baker i mean you had all these televangelists because back then it was televangelists who all went down in flames for for espousing exactly the same thing that they never actually believed right and he's in a long line of those kinds of people and what's fascinating to me is that it doesn't matter i mean it doesn't matter um it's when you start teaching something called the prosperity gospel which a lot of them do And that i'm entitled to my private plane and i'm entitled to my billion dollar compensation fund it's not billion dollars but i'm entitled i mean do people not read the new testament
0: no i mean
1: honestly like i'm a christian and i've read the new testament it's very clear right you have to
0: really jump through hoops (laughs) to make excuses for this stuff right and especially this obvious stuff it's not it's not something you've worn cotton you can be like that's old yeah it's it's something like you screwed a prostitute yeah and cheated on your pregnant wife yeah
1: and the reality is look if you think it's okay to do that and there are plenty of people out there who basically say well you know what what happens in a marriage is between the husband and the wife and who you never know like whatever by the way i happen to be one of those people so but i also don't pretend to be
0: Right. But you're not telling adult. me. Right. You're not. I'm not telling you, Emily, from that a pedestal. Yeah. Like,
1: I'm not telling you that because you're having a monogamous, consensual, loving relationship with your girlfriend, that somehow you are the antichrist while, uh, you know, at the same time you're paying off Right. a prostitute to keep quiet about you cheating on. Oh, and family. remember
0: our old guest, uh, Casey, in putting people through conversion therapy.
1: At Liberty. Casey, who um, is a Liberty graduate, who I think is probably the most, if not one of the most impressive, guests we ever had on the show. And she is gay. Um, and she went to Liberty. And she, I think her family was close to the Fall Walls, right? Yeah. She said. And she was put through conversion therapy twice. Conversion therapy, whereas I think a normal person would say, well, you are no more. Uh, in charge of your skin color than you are your sexual orientation. But nevertheless, that's the belief. Anyway, the whole point is it's just complete hypocrisy. We don't have to belabor it. And Donald Trump is the king of the hypocrisy. And I think to some extent, he is like Kramer (laughs) in the car where, let's see how far I can go. I mean, let's see how far I can go. Let's see what kind of nonsense I will say that will finally get people to turn on me. And the answer is he knows it. Nothing. Yep. Not a thing. There is nothing that he can possibly say that will get people to turn on him who are in his base. I mean, right. he is a remarkably steady in the mid-30s to low 40s with his base.
0: Right. Which
1: is frightening because um, I came from a country like that. And it's very interesting. I um, You probably didn't have these when you were little. I didn't. But did you ever know about the Who Was books? No. So there is this series of books called Who Was? So, like, who was George Washington? Who was, I don't know, make it up. Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, the Dalai Lama, or whatever. Um, or who is? And so we just read a book called What Was the Berlin Wall? And he and I read to each other every night before he goes to bed. And so we just, we literally last night just got done with the Berlin Wall. And that was really his first exposure to the Cold War. And the Berlin Wall is a very striking example of that because he literally had a physical wall. So he has a map in his room, a world map, and he runs to the map and he looks at it. And he goes, well, Germany, he found Germany on the map, which I think is awesome. Um, and he looks at it, and he goes, well, why couldn't they just get on a boat in the North Sea and sail to Scandinavia and be free? And I said, well, you know, this map doesn't reflect East Germany versus West Germany, but even let's assume, he goes, well, but, and I said to him, you know, I was born in the Soviet Union, we couldn't really do that. And he goes, well, wait a second. He looks at this picture of Russia. And he goes, is Russia all part of the Soviet Union? I said it was. Why couldn't you go to uh, or the eastern part of Asia, the eastern part of Russia, which is in Asia, and get in a boat and sail across the Bering Strait and get to Alaska?
0: That's a very treacherous journey.
1: Well, I mean, I guess you could get there to the extent that you needed an internal passport to to go. But let's assume you did, right? So he didn't get it. He didn't understand why people can't just act freely, even if if physically, geographically you could. And I said, you know, your grandmother told me this very interesting story about some friend of hers or acquaintance of hers that she knew who really did not want to be in the Soviet Union. He tried to sneak across the Finnish border because Finland, obviously and the Soviet Union, abutted each other and he was shot dead. And um, I said, it's a very risky, treacherous thing. Okay, but if you really wanted to do it, why could, you know, the border is huge, Russia is huge. Why couldn't you just somehow sneak across? And I said that to my mother. She and I had this discussion. I said, you know, he raises a point. Like, why didn't more people do that? And she said, well, we're kind of all like sheep. Like, you're not supposed to do that, so you're not going to do that. Like, you're not going to, you know, some people risk their lives and inevitably most died. Um, but in the same way that people climbed across the Berlin Wall were shot dead. Um, and I went to Berlin right at, in 1993 when the wall was still standing. And what's interesting is you saw a lot of the bullet holes near the wall. That's eerie. In buildings, right, where people were being shot at. Um, some of which actually dated back to World War II. But, um, but. She said, you know, people are sheep. They just, they're told not to do this. They don't do this. Like, why did most people put up with communism? Because they were told that this is the way it is. And you kind of, okay, like my day-to-day life is what it is. What's become scary to me is I never thought this country was uh, susceptible to that. Or I guess I did. When you read The Crucible, remember did you read The yeah. Crucible like Arthur Miller? Yeah. You think in the fifties, my God, this Red Scare, this is crazy. Like, this is so insane? Why? Why would people go along with this? Or not just that? Why would people put Japanese people in internment camps during World War II? Going back to the No Irish Need Apply back in the twenties, right? Like, you have consistent discrimination against people, and you think about, um, but you kind of think the American experiment marches on, and that you've gotten to a point where that's not the case anymore. And the reality is, when you think about what my mother said, based on what my eight-year-old son said, which I think for an eight-year-old is is not an unreasonable question to ask about, here's the map, here's the border, why wouldn't you just do it? They're not wrong. They're not wrong in the sense that Trump is like that. Trump is very, like, people who support Trump are very much like that. Well, we're, we're just told this is what it's like. Right. Because we don't have access to any other media now in the soviet union Mm. you truly didn't have access to any other media um and people would get their transistor radios and try to get something called voice of america which still exists to to try to pipe in real information but it was very hard to find and they would try to jam the systems here people voluntarily segregate themselves in their news and and that applies to msnbc versus fox right you watch what you want to watch the problem is um if you're conservative or you're a Trump supporter, there really is only one cable channel to watch. Right. And they watch Fox and Fox tells them things that Fox itself knows is not accurate. For example, as we alluded to before, uh, this is a hoax. Yep. COVID is not a big deal. It's not any worse than a bad flu. While at the same time, the person making that statement full well he couldn't set foot in the building without taking every precaution that he was arguing against, which he never had to do when he was, you know, when, when the flu was active. That flus. we had bad flu strains.
0: Right. What is that? What may, is making you salty, or what is making you salty? Um,
1: the sentier that I think a lot of our former colleagues at Fox have to sign is making me very salty. Um, it's it's not right, and it is forcing people to make a decision, and it's just not. It's it's brutal. You can't force people to choose between supporting their families being.
0: And being afraid of taking on one of the most well-known companies in the world that will take, that has and will go after you, just a small-time employee.
1: Correct. These are not on-air personalities. They're not people who are well-known. And I will say this, and this is actually not just on Fox. This is on our culture as a whole. A lot of these people also must be aware that if they sue an open court, finding a job will be that much harder because other companies will not want to hire them because they will be labeled as troublemakers. Um, By the way, none of these people got fired. They got allegedly laid off.
0: Right. Um, They, and unexpectedly so. There was no warning whatsoever. It was just a quick touch base meeting. That's what the email said. Just a quick touch base.
1: I yeah. I mean, what can you even say to them, other than I don't blame them for. Yeah. You know. I it. mean, it
0: happened all so quick, and now you're like, shit. You didn't even have an inkling of this happening. So now, what? What? Where do you have to go? You You supposedly weren't looking for a job. You have nothing. Of course not. No, because you thought your job was safe.
1: And in the middle of the COVID
0: crisis. Oh yeah. In and, and then pandemic. And then you would think it would be at least safe until the end of the election, because usually around election time, it's all hands on deck all the time. So they
1: did it. They knew exactly what they were doing to get these
0: people to sign on.
1: And I truly Mm -hmm. hope that there are some people in a position. I don't I don't want to say that it's courageous because the reality is we don't know what everybody's situation is like. I hope there are some people who are in a financial position to say no right so they can speak out the same way you did i mean you probably wouldn't have been able to speak out had you not gotten another job lined up right um and you don't have kids to pay for or a mortgage to pay for i mean it's it's it's, it's these wow i'm so sorry i mean all i can say to anybody who's listening to this who whether i knew you when i worked when i was a fox or I, I didn't know you i'm so sorry because you're being muzzled and it's awful and it's not right and um one day this law will change because this is so if people understood how unfair this is it's not trade secrets
0: this is why lift our voices is is really it it has to change things because seeing what's happening to my close friends is horrific
1: yeah well it's making me salty is not the word it's making me devastated um I don't know. Hang in there, guys. I'm sorry. I, that, that doesn't mean much. When you're going through it, it really doesn't mean much. I, I keep saying, with hindsight being 2020, if I'd known what I know now, would I sign an NDA? The answer is no. When you're going through it and you're in hell, you just want it to be over. You just want to be done with it. Right. And nobody wants to be the test case because, again, I hate to say this, you sue and people automatically assume that you're a troublemaker and it's not much harder for you to find a job. In reality, you're not the one that should be losing your job. Right. In reality, people who do something wrong should be the ones losing their job. You should not have to force be forced between signing an NDA and receiving a severance package. Brutal and awful, and I'm sorry. And... Based on that, I'm hoping next week will be a more positive week. It is a positive week because you have a new job, which I'm so thrilled for you. Yes. And you're going to work for a wonderful guy who has a wonderful journalism ethos. And so based on that, we'll see everybody next week. Awesome.